0: Parkway Church and uh, welcome to the ever-changing Parkway living room we're so glad to be here with you this morning with a, a couple of differences a couple of changes Uh, First, I want to address that I'm back to leading worship this week as we're going to have Pastor Gavin speaking for the next two weeks with uh, physical distancing. It's a little hard to get to know him, to take him out for, you know, pie or burgers or whatever he's into. So uh, we thought we'd let him preach for a couple weeks and and let you get to know him, let you get to hear his heart for the church. And um, so we're going to do that this morning. And a couple other things is I I want to address... uh, a concern that really came in this week, and so we've tried to make some steps this morning to address it but it, it goes as this uh, there was a call put into ottawa public health uh someone felt that we were not physically distanced enough or that we were not wearing masks during our services and so i need to let you know and remind you that this is while live in a live stream there is actually no one in in the audience. We have a few sound techs and they're about a hundred feet away. And so I actually spent time talking with Ottawa Public Health, asking them uh, about all the things we do, how we operate on a Sunday, how we operate during the week in our office hours, and then even the two new initiatives we're starting uh, today. Because at 2 p.m. today, I'm inviting you in for a time of prayer, and we're going to pray in the sanctuary. We'll need to wear masks, we'll be physically distant, but we are allowed, and we should be. Not just because we're allowed, but we should be as a church praying. And so I'm inviting you to this place to come pray with me today at 2 o'clock for an hour for Parkway, for our future, for our um, current state, and just an understanding of where God is leading us and taking us. And then our second initiative is that at 6 o'clock tonight, uh, weather permitting, we are going to be having a worship service outside. Uh, So I invite you to come to that, bring your picnic blanket, bring your lawn chair, and I mean, you're allowed to sit in in your family clusters together, Uh, if someone is part of your bubble, you can sit together, otherwise we'll ask you to stay socially distant, but we can be outside singing, uh, masks for those who feel they need it, and for those who who don't, Uh, because we're outside, we're allowed to sing without a mask. We're trying and, and looking into the best ways to connect our church. And so all of that has been approved by Ottawa Public Health. We are uh, following the proper protocols to keep you healthy, to keep you safe. And as we move into this new season, we're looking for ways to engage you on the church premises, but also to engage just the spirit within you. So we now have um, on-site worship. Uh, which will be every other week as we try and do campfire um, sessions where we're going to sing and and praise outside. We have Sunday morning worship, which will be online. We have on-site prayer, which will, again, be every other week where we invite you to come in and pray with me for an hour in the sanctuary but we're also starting some online prayer as well starting next week at 9 a.m through a zoom call we'll put it out in the email and all through our social media there's going to be a time of prayer online before the service led um, by ian kerr and uh, the rest of our elders team so we're looking for ways to connect to you, parkway and if you haven't already seen it yet I know I'm a little self-centered in saying it, but check out People of Parkway, a great initiative Becky's putting together, a new take on the meet and greet. Uh, The first episode is of myself, my wife, Alicia, and Eli. Amos was sleeping, which made sure we could actually film something. Toddlers are not helpful in any sort of filming, um, other than just for America's Funniest Home Videos. Uh, But... Check it out. Get to know myself and my wife and and the new families that uh, Becky will be putting forward, that we can still connect as a church, as a family. Um, Guys, we're all in this together, and we are growing strong. We're not falling apart. Uh, The Spirit of God binds us together and brings us closer. And so with that in mind, Becky, why don't you lead us in worship this morning, or lead us in prayer as we begin to worship. God, today we come to you. With wherever we've been in the past, um, we enter into this moment acknowledging that you are here and you are present. Um, I thank you for this opportunity to praise you today. And I pray that, yeah, us as a congregation, God, we can lift your name high and praise you with honest and pure hearts. Um, Be with us today as as we journey forth into this worship and guide our hearts and our words and our actions throughout the rest of the day as well. In your name I pray, amen.
1: Dear God, I just pray that as we just enter into a time of worshiping you through preaching your word, that you would just be glorified, that you would be magnified in this place. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to the word that you are going to speak to us. God, I pray that as I bring your word, there would be less of me and more of you. Jesus, let your kingdom come and your will be done in this place. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you bought our blood by your blood and that you've adopted us as your children. So God, be glorified today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Parkway family. Thank you for your hospitality this morning as you invite me into your living room. I hope you made an extra pot of coffee for me. Um, so today, I get the privilege of preaching to you for the first time. And I just want to say that I am so excited and I'm so thankful that I get this opportunity to just share the gospel with you. For this first sermon, or for this first sermon series, I've entitled it Love and Obedience. And I did that because I I wanted to really speak to the foundation of our faith. For my first series, I didn't want to teach about what we sometimes discuss and debate, but I wanted to teach the foundation of who we are in Christ and primarily today who Jesus is, so that we know our salvation, so that we know who saved us. And so I find it a privilege that I get to stand here today. And today as I preach to you the goodness of salvation and the perfect love of our Savior, I just want to encourage you to to let it take effect in your life. James warns us to be doers of the word, and not just hearers only. So today, as we gaze at Jesus, as we gaze at our Savior, may we not this afternoon, Monday, sometime this week, look away and forget the Savior who redeemed us. So that's my encouragement for you today, because I think over time in our Christian walks, we first receive Jesus, and it's the best thing in the world. We're on our knees before him in prayer as we recognize the love God has had on us. But then sometimes, as we continue in our Christian walk, we start to attend church, and we start to leave out a laundry list of prayers toward God, and we begin to just Do things out of obligation rather than coming to church because of the joy Christ has created in us, because we get to come and worship our loving Savior, because we get to join with one another in praise of God, because we get to learn of the goodness of God. And so that's what I want to bring us back to today, is just the very root of who we are in Jesus. And so I just want to introduce this series quickly. So this series has been titled Love and Obedience, or Obedience and Love. Um, last, the last two weeks, Pastor Nate laid out a few parts of what salvation is. So he talked about justification, which is the idea that Christ, when he died on the cross, became our righteousness and put us in right standing with God so that we can be in relationship with him. And he talked about sanctification, which is the the concept that every single day we're being made more and more and more into the image of Christ. Now today, I want to rest on Jesus. I want to rest on the gospel, on who our salvation is rather than what our salvation is. And so there's three concepts I want to bring to you about Jesus today. I want to teach you, first and foremost, that Jesus does not condemn. Rather, he sets us free. And secondly, I want to teach you that Jesus loves you perfectly, perfectly. His love is perfect and has been exemplified to us. And then finally, I want to teach you that Jesus offers us eternal satisfaction. And I know you've probably heard these things a thousand times, but that's why I'm telling you again. We have to remind ourselves of the gospel daily. The gospel didn't just save us one day so that we can move past it. The gospel is our life. The gospel is everything that we delight in and find joy in. And so we have to remember it every single day. And so if you guys will turn with me to John 8, verse 2 to 11, I'm going to read something there, but I'd also encourage you to turn and put a bookmark in John 6, verse 27, and then also in 1 John 4, verse 9. A lot of John today. But that's because John talks about Jesus as God, and so I really want to point us to that today. So I'm just going to pray quickly over this scripture, and then we're going to dive into it. So God, I just pray that as we open your scripture, as we listen to you, as we read the words that you have written for us, that we would just be encapsulated by your love. Lord, that we'd be captured by the love you've had for us, by the fact of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us who you are and that we would know you as our Savior and as our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first, or sorry, not first John. John 8, verse 2 to 11. Let's read it together. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And so, for context, the day before this, those same Pharisees and that group of people who came to try him had just tried to drive him out of the temple and. They called him a deceiver to all the people. And now you'll see here that they call him teacher. Why do they call him teacher? Because they're trying to trick him. And Jesus, who is perfect and who knows our hearts, saw through their lies. And he responded in a way that is so true to his nature. He responded with both grace and judgment. Or justice, sorry. Um... But this text that I just read to you, John 8, is the text that we're going to use for both of these sermons. It's going to be the primary text because it tells us two things. First, it says, who has condemned you? Nobody, then neither do I condemn you. And that's what we learn about Jesus, that he does not condemn. And yet Jesus also says, go and leave your life of sin because he knows what is best for her. And had the order been reversed and had he said, leave your life of sin, now I don't condemn you, that wouldn't be Jesus. That's not who our Savior is. We can't serve him out of obligation. Rather, when we see his love for us displayed before us, when we see that he doesn't condemn, that leads us to want to obey him, to want to serve him and follow him. And that's the necessary order. Um, for that to happen. But this week we're talking about no condemnation in Christ. Um, so yeah, he responded with grace and justice when the Pharisees tried to trick him into responding with either, the point that they were trying to make was if he had said, I do condemn this woman who's found guilty by the law, then that would go against all the teachings that he said beforehand. Because up until that point, what he'd been um, a proponent, proponent of was grace and love and mercy and freedom from sin. So if he were to now turn and say that, they could, tell it, they could say he is a liar. He is a false prophet. He, he's inconsistent. But then if they got him on the other side to ignore the law of Moses and to say, I don't condemn her, they could say, well, he's going against the law. We should put him in prison and we should get rid of him. But Jesus, who saw the heart of the Pharisees, used his grace and his justice. Grace did not condemn her, and justice invited anyone who did not sin to throw a stone. But something we see in this is that we have all sinned. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, all of us are actually deserving the punishment of God, the wrath of God. Yet Jesus foreshadowed his loving sacrifice by choosing to give her a chance rather than condemning her by the law of Moses. And so that is a glorious thing I want you to gaze upon. Our Savior, Jesus, does not condemn you. So while you might feel enslaved to sin, he has actually set you free. He's given you freedom from that. So that you can bring your past, your present, and your future sins before the cross. And he can say, I do not condemn you. Why does he not condemn us? Because like Pastor Nate said, he justified us. He is now in our place. And so when he lays aside that sin, we're no longer condemned and we're actually free from all the charges of sin. And so that's the first point. We are not condemned. Jesus does not condemn us. But while Jesus did let her go, there's also something else on display here. While the Pharisees were being quite persnickety about the minor details... They failed to realize their own sin in this situation. So while God does not condemn those who come before him exposed of their sin, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So she would have been exposed, laid bare before him. So while, while he does not condemn those people who bear their sin before him, he exposes the sin of those who are self-righteous in a desire to bring them to repentance. So he said the first one of you who hasn't sinned can throw a stone, but every one of them had sinned. And so Jesus let them know this so that they would not unfairly judge her without judging their own hearts. And so we know that we can freely come before Christ and bring our sin fully exposed to him and give it to him. And we know that we will not be met with condemnation, but we will be met with grace. But if we hide our sin from Christ and we try to say that we have not sinned, that's another story. And that's what brings to light the second characteristic of Christ that we're going to talk about and which is displayed here. He shows us his, while he showed that he doesn't condemn, he also shows his perfect love for us while still remaining holy. And that just adds to the incredible reality that he did not condemn the woman. That He did not condemn the woman, and it leads us to ask, how can God, who is perfect and sinless, maintain both his love in forgiving us and his holiness, his perfection, his inability to be in the presence of sin. How does that work? How can Jesus be all loving? And that's why this point is that he is a loving sacrifice. He showed us an exemplified love for us, and he did that by actually merging his holiness and his love. So let's turn to 1 John 4 verse 9 to 10 quickly. I'll race you there. So it says this This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how he showed his love among us, through sacrifice. But why was that sacrifice necessary? Why did that show his love? And I think as we talk about why that shows his love, we'll be captured by a greater understanding of how deep his love is for us. So what you'll notice here is that it says that he became an atoning sacrifice or a propitiation for our sin. And what propitiation means is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and actually turns it to favor. So in another words, if you've ever heard that Jesus became a curse for us on the cross, he turned our curse and became our curse so we could become a blessing, so that we could be blessed. He bore God's wrath and turned it into favor toward us. And so he he was the only one who could do this because he was the perfect sacrifice for sin. He lived a completely sinless life. And for that reason, he was able to atone for the sins of every single person because nobody else could live a perfect life. But I want to walk you through a little formula here. I don't know why I called it a formula, but a little step process that kind of makes us understand the depth of God's love here and the impact of this meaning because I want you guys to know that Jesus loves you and yet God is also holy and worthy of reverence. And so God is holy, which means that he is perfect and separate from sin. He actually can't be in the presence of sin. It's against his nature. But he's also perfect in love And perfect in judgment. So, how can you be perfect in love but also perfect in judgment if you're holy? He has to judge sin. Sin is against the law, it's against his nature. He has to justly judge that to be a just God. Yet, he's also love. And so, if he were to let sin go off without punishment, he would no longer be perfect or holy. So for him to excuse it without a just sacrifice would go against his nature and would not be true justice. And as well, the penalty for sin is actually death. So remember that Jesus died for us because the penalty of sin is death. Constant sin against an infinite God is worthy of the full weight of God's wrath. Because he's an infinite God and he's given us opportunity For all our existence, we have hated God by our actions and been, what it says, enemies of God, by doing all the things that go against him and that he hates the most. It's the same way that somebody who's guilty of murder deserves to be put in prison. You wouldn't let them go free from that, and so to act otherwise would just be unjust. Rather, in his patience and his great love for us, he has taken the hate that we've given him and has responded to that hate with love and with grace. And with endless pleas for repentance. Because you see, God wants to be in relationship with people because he is a perfectly loving being. His love is perfect, and love is perfect in relationship. And so he called the Israelites repeatedly to turn from their ways, from their sin, from their selfish ways, and to turn to God so that he could be in relationship with them because sin was that barrier between that relationship. And so he told them to turn and repent over and over to remember the ways that he's loved them, and yet they always turn back to their idolatrous practices. They forgot the God who's rescued them from slavery, who split the Red Sea for them, who brought them through the desert, who brought the manna from heaven, who provided everything they could possibly need. They forgot him and turned away from him. And I just ask you this question. Imagine loving someone so much. And in return, all they do is show you hatred and contempt. And they only turn to you when they need something. That might remind you of your kids a little bit, but imagine that, that kind of unconditional love where, <laughs> where you show them love over and over again, and yet they don't return it. God equates this relationship in Hosea to a man who marries a prostitute. And that prostitute, though this man married her and loves her and he's shown her unconditional love, she continues to go and cheat on him and sleep with other men. And that's what he says His relationship is with Israel. That's how relational he is. That's how much he loves us. He sees us as his bride and yet we've cheated on him over and over and over again. Could you imagine being in that situation yourself and then being in that relationship? Would you choose to die for the very people who continue to cheat on you, to steal from you, to hate you? Would you do that well, God brought together his perfect holiness and his perfect love by doing that himself through the form of Jesus, who's who we're talking about today. He lived the perfect life. He did not sin. He loved people perfectly. And then he bore the full wrath of God on his shoulders so that those idolatrous people those adulterers against him, those who hated him, could live in eternal, everlasting relationship with him. That is love. He experienced rejection from God who he'd lived in perfect relationship with since the beginning of time, eternally. He he died by the hands of those he came to save. He was spat on, he was beaten, he was mocked. And yet, He didn't condemn those people, but rather he made a way for them to experience the eternal love of the Father. And that's the most incredible thing about Jesus and his good news. His sacrifice for us was the epitome of perfect love and holiness. You see, love as our culture sees it is a feeling. If you feel love towards someone, that is love. As if we use the term in love as being infatuated with someone, but God has shown us unconditional love, and what unconditional love is is a choice to continually love that person, and he made that choice when he died for us on the cross to promise us an eternal inheritance, never-ending, And so God's love for us is unlike the love of the world. It is unconditional, exemplified and shown through his loving sacrifice for us. That is love. It was shown to us. Like somebody may say they love you, but maybe you know people who say they love you all the time, but by their actions, they don't show it they don't do the dishes, they don't do the laundry, they let things be, and they don't show you that they love you, but they keep saying, but I promise I love you, or I'm sorry, but, but I love you. But God doesn't do that. God showed us his love by dying on the cross for us and bearing the full wrath of God on our behalf. And that, that love should spur you on to love him in return. That was his ultimate call to relationship with you. He did it so you can have intimate relationship with the Father. And true love is valuing someone else over yourself. And Jesus died for you and illustrated that perfect love so you can know you are loved intimately, personally, and fully by Jesus. And now we're going to go to the third point about Jesus. So we know that he doesn't condemn us, and that instead of condemning us, he offers himself in our place as an illustration of perfect love. But it doesn't end there. He also offers us perfect satisfaction. And that's something that we often look for in sin, we look for in worldly gain, in jobs, in in marriages, in family we look for that in all these things but Jesus perfectly satisfies. And let's read John 6 together to see what that perfect satisfaction actually looks like. And as we jump into it, this is this is the context. So the day before, people had just listened to him preach and he multiplied bread and food for them and so they're like, "Cool. He gave us food. Let's go back to him and get more food." And Jesus here says Rather than giving you food and making you hungry again tomorrow when you're going to just come back to me for food, I'm going to give you eternal satisfaction, eternal bread. And so let's read this quickly. Oh, I'm way out of place. It's okay. There we go. Okay, John 6, verse 27 to 40. It's long, but it won't take that long. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and will raise him up on the last day. So Parkway Church, I encourage you today, get that bread. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but that is an amazing truth that we've just read about. This is the incredible hope that by simply believing in Jesus, we receive a security of eternal life. He gives us the imperishable food that is his sacrifice and perfect provision for us. We are eternally satisfied, as like I said before, as we feast on the gospel daily. And as we come before Jesus and give ourselves to him. So, Let's look into this a little bit. So they, they talk to him about this bread, and he says, I don't give you the bread that spoils. So what, the, what these people wanted is they wanted a kingdom established for them right now as the Jewish people. They wanted the Messiah to overthrow the Roman government and to give them victory and freedom and their rights. But Jesus said, no, that's not eternal satisfaction. I have something better. And I think oftentimes we, like these people, fail to see the greater blessing and spiritual fullness of eternal life than that of a kingdom in this world or the things that we want in this world. We often seek our kingdom now, whether it be in our jobs or any of those things I said before, but those will not satisfy. Sin will not satisfy. All this life is nothing compared to eternal life. With our Heavenly Father who loves us. So I encourage you don't seek the approval of man, don't seek status, and don't seek the riches of this world. Seek Jesus who promises eternal satisfaction for your soul. Because all of these things will spoil in the end. And opposed to the food that leaves you hungry, Jesus as the bread of life gives us the image of perfect satisfaction. What is perfect satisfaction, you ask, since we've been talking about it so much, and you're probably really curious? Eternal satisfaction is eternal contentment in God's heavenly kingdom. So that is not now, that is in the future, but our hope is now, and we can be satisfied in our hope, and we can return to God. God says, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But there's There's a concept there, and he says, come and believe in me. But we have to come. We have to go. There's an action there. So you might have said that once in your life. You might have said, Jesus, you are everything. But then at some point in your Christian walk, you stopped going to him. I encourage you today and every day, go to Jesus. Go to the one who loves you. Bring your sins before you. Read his word. Open it up and be amazed by the beauty of it. Because that's what he gives us. And that is our hope that sustains us. You will be satisfied in that. And so the people asked for manna because that was what God provided them a long time ago to sustain them for the days ahead. But Jesus offers something better than manna. While manna could only meet the temporal and physical needs of the people, Jesus, as the bread of life, satisfies eternally and spiritually. So the bread of life nourishes us spiritually and satisfies the deep spiritual longings of our soul because we were actually created to worship God. And so nothing less than that will satisfy the cravings of our soul. So when we give our life to Jesus, he actually changes our desires, fills us. But implicit in that is, is that we seek him. And, and people, the people ask, what must we do and I said we have to seek him, but it's even easier than that. It's to believe in him. So we have to continually come to him, but that's not a work in of itself. That's just recognizing who Jesus is, that we can come to him. But the people ask, what must we do? Because human nature leads us to misunderstand Jesus' statement of working for food that endures to eternal life and ask about the works required to achieve that food. But Jesus responds by saying that the work God requires is to believe And as humans, we like to earn things. That's what our culture and our society is built on. It's on earning things. But Jesus actually breaks down our pride by saying, believe in me and I will satisfy. Just come to me. Bow down before me and that's it. And that's why I wanted to talk about the love of God with you first before talking about the obedience that follows. Because unlike any other religion, unlike anything in life, Our obedience doesn't earn us God's love, and our obedience doesn't earn us salvation. But rather, God doesn't condemn us. His love is for us. He satisfies us. And as we believe in him, we begin to walk in the new desires that he creates for us. And that is a relational call. Like in Hosea 6.6, 6, God says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. So that hasn't changed. God's always been the same. He's always wanted that. People just twisted it to be primarily about sacrifices in the law. And so all this culminates to say, look to Jesus Know your Savior. Know the one who says you are not condemned, even though people may say you're condemned, even though the devil's going to be speaking in your ear that you're condemned, even though you might fall into a sin. God does not condemn you, but he offers you something better. And remember that the God who sacrificed himself for you is the God who loves you and who still is alive and still actively loves you. Look to that love. Look to that example of the sacrifice of love that a holy God reached out, bore the weight of sin so that you could be in relationship with him. And then remember that he satisfies you, that he will fill your cup, that he will be enough for you. Because Jesus says at the end of this passage that he will not lose any of those God has given him. We will be raised up with him to eternal life. That's the gospel. We were dead in our sin. We were to be under the wrath of God, but Jesus, in his loving mercy for our souls, for a desire for relationship with us, stepped in our place so that now on the day of judgment, when we're laid bare before God, God will see Jesus' perfection in our place. And now when we pray, we can pray through Jesus who is our intercessor to speak freely with the holy God without being purified and going through all those rituals to get there. He gives us free access. That is our God. That is our Jesus. So I invite the worship team to come back up and I just, I just leave you with this reminder. God doesn't want your attendance on Sunday morning. He doesn't want your Bible memorization. He doesn't want your prayers. He wants you. And he wants you to believe and acknowledge that he is who he said he is in these passages. And as that shifts, worship, Sunday service becomes Mandatory, not out of force, but out of a desire to rejoice in and worship God, our loving Savior with fellow believers. We pursue Him in His Word out of a desire to actually know Him, and we memorize His Word so that we can hide it in our heart. And we pray because prayer is an opportunity for encounter with our loving God. So come to Him today. Come to him who does not condemn you. Come to him who sacrificed himself to save you. Come to him who wants to be in relationship with you and who promised eternal satisfaction for your soul. Come to him who is enough, who is the bread of life, who will sustain you and provide everything that you need in life because he wants you. So I just encourage you today, don't be a Christian Be in relationship with God. That's his desire. Look to Jesus. Look to the life he lived and the price he paid for your soul. Know that he loves you. So I just pray that you know you are loved today. So go and walk in that love. Walk as a child of God.
0: Psalm 139 says this. Lord, you have seen what is in my heart. You know all about me. You know when I sit down and when I get up, you know what I'm thinking, even though you are far away. You know when I go out to work and when I come back home, you know exactly how I live. Lord, even before I speak a word, you know all about it. You are all around me, behind me and in front of me. You hold me safe in your hand. I'm amazed at how well you know me. It's more than I can understand. How can I get away from your spirit? How can I go to escape from you? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I lie down in the deepest parts of the earth, you are also there. Suppose I were to rise with the sun in the east. Suppose I travel to the west where it sinks into the ocean. Your hand would always be there to guide me. Your right hand would still be holding me close. Suppose I were to say, I'm sure the darkness will hide me. The light around me will become as dark as night. Even that darkness would not be dark to you. The night would shine like the day, because darkness is like light to you. Father, we just thank you for this day, that we choose you because you chose us first, that you set the example, that you sent the invitation, God, that your pursuit of us changes our lives forever. So guide us this day, guide us this week. Let us be blessed for knowing you. Amen. Apparently we had a bit of a technical glitch at the beginning where my voice wasn't coming through so... Just to paraphrase our couple little of announcements, we uh, had a call from Ottawa Public Health this week. Someone reported that we didn't seem to be physically distanced enough or wearing masks. And so after talking with Ottawa Public Health, I want you to know that we are in full compliance with the, the city's protocols. Uh, while this is a live stream, it is not a live audience. There's only some sound techs about a 100 feet in front of the camera from us uh also how we run our office day to day we're we're in protocol we're doing exactly what we need to do and our new initiatives that start today are again in in proper protocol so those initiatives are this at 2 p.m today i invite you to come and pray with me here at parkway in the sanctuary you will need to wear a mask you'll need to sign in but we're going to spend an hour praying for our church praying for our future and praying for god's guidance At six o'clock, we're going to have an outside worship service that is masked by choice of you being outside. We are not required to wear one, but we are not going to shame or look against anyone who feels more comfortable wearing one. Feel free to bring a blanket, a chair, sit with your family, sit with your bubble, everyone else. We do need to be distant, but we're going to sing our praises loud and we're going to sing them outside together um, and just worship our God. As we move forward into this new season, uh, we know that our God has never stopped looking for us, stopped calling out for us, and, uh, and never changed the ways for us to engage with him. And so we're just finding new ways, as parkway to do it, but the call is still there to pray, the call is still there to worship, and that changes not. It doesn't change whether you're inside or outside of a church building. It is from your heart, from your spirit to your God. But what we are doing is we have on-site prayer, what I'm talking about at 2 p.m. today, and we're going to have online prayer starting next week through a Zoom call at 9 a.m. as a pre-service prayer. Ian Care and our eldership team are going to lead that. We have on-site worship, which we're going to do tonight at 6 o'clock outside, uh, weather permitting. uh, Also, maybe a fire if the fire ban lifts. But then we have online worship, which we do every Sunday through this online platform. And we have the people of Parkway, a new take on the meet and greet, an initiative that has been done by uh, Becky Lubbers. And so you might get a phone call from her where she says, hey, could we do a Zoom interview? And she's going to talk to you, and we'll put it out so that we get to know each other. While we might be physically distant, that doesn't mean that we need to be spiritually distant. We're together in this, being led and guided by a spirit that unites us. So until I see you this afternoon or we see you again in this place, know that you are loved and that you are missed. Have a great week, Parkway.